How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. For me, there's no tick box. Mm. Like, you're 40, you've got to wear a Laura Mercier <laughs> yeah. camouflage concealer, you've got to wear a Bobbi Brown lipstick, mm-hmm. you've got to wear a Daniel Sandler blusher, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Every woman is different. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. Today's guest is the makeup artist and brand owner, Daniel Sandler. I first met Daniel about six, six, seven years ago. He was doing an event that I brought my mum along to and he gave her some makeup advice and was so kind and so sincere and just wanted to help us find the right products. And that meeting really stuck with me. And every time I've seen Daniel since, I've noticed how generous he is with his time and knowledge. And he has plenty of knowledge because he's had a stellar career in makeup. We talk in this episode about how he found success and about his life, as well as, of course, some of his makeup philosophies and how he came up with his famous watercolour blush product, which is a makeup artist staple. I've seen it in countless kits on shoots and backstage. So if you want to infuse your face with life, get your hands on bottle. It is brilliant. Here's Daniel. So tell me about young you. Young me was uh, brought up just off the King's Road near Sloan Square. Um, obviously an amazing location, but very quiet, a very quiet area, apart from when people flood in to come up and down the King's Road. Yeah. You don't really have friends next door. I wasn't a kid who kind of had friends who lived in the building and all this sort of thing mm. where we lived. So it was quite a solitary... Um, Were you an only child? No, I've got a brother and sister. My brother and sister are both, both much older, nine and 11 years older than me. Right. My, so when I was sort of a teenager, my brother was in the army. Before that, he was in the boarding school. My mm. sister was at school in London, so I grew up more with my sister. Um, and my parents went away. My Both parents were working, but they'd go away at weekends and for holidays. Your dad was a hairdresser? Yeah. And what did your mum do? My mum was an interior designer, and then she became an importer of chocolates, sugared almonds and beautiful chocolate dragées. Oh, okay. And she was the first person to actually um, sell wedding favours. You know the Italian bonbonieri? Yeah. She was the first person to do those really beautifully for Harrods and for Fortnum's and for Jackson's of Piccadilly. So apart from school, which I hated, I absolutely hated school. Were you good at anything at school? Uh, French, English and art. Okay, fine. Really good. Mm -hmm. I I was crap at sciences and I was brilliant at music. Okay. And I went to the Royal College of Music and I did violin and piano as well. No, you didn't, did yeah, you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, Saturdays. Did so, you? Yeah, and I did, okay. did my grades and things. Yeah. Um, and I started violin at school when I was four. Did you ever think about becoming a violinist or a pianist? No, because I absolutely love makeup. So when did the, even the realisation that makeup existed, when did that come to you? I think I was 
it, it was through my spotty phase. <laughs> and the great thing about having a spotty phase and being into fashion is that at the, at the time in the 80s, boys were putting makeup on themselves mm. and it was a real fashion thing. Punks had gone, New Wave was sort of there, but the, the kind of fashion music vibe that I absolutely loved was the New Romantic. Right. So I wanted to do everything and I look like Steve Strange mm-hmm. or David Bowie. Mm-hmm. So I would go and I would buy very simple makeup, firstly really to cover up my spots. because Which products do you remember where you were going yeah, and what you were buying? Absolutely. Boots number seven, I bought whatever I could. There was a Rimmel cover stick and I think they probably still make that it looks like a lipstick yes they still make that that was amazing Um, Mary Quant makeup I'd buy Mm because my sister was working in Harrods Mm -hmm. in the weigh-in department on the fourth floor oh yeah which was really cool I love weigh-in oh it's so trendy yeah yeah yeah. so there'd be miners makeup stage light makeup and Mary Quant had a fantastic concession and all these brands had beautiful bright colors and things Um, and then of course it was all about fake tanning after that were you instantly good at putting makeup on I don't think I was. I, I think I probably enjoyed it more and I loved the effect that it gave. Right. And I remember at school, at secondary school, um, I, was, I was at school with Hugh Grant. Ah. And I had to do his makeup because he was on stage. <laughs> okay. I, I was either shoved in the, in the orchestra mm-hmm. or I was told to do makeup. Orchestra because of the violin. Yeah. Um, and but this time I said no I want to do the makeup and you know so right so you're making up celebs even before you knew you were making up celebs before they were celebs isn't, isn't that wild yeah. <laughs> yeah so oh my and he was really cute anyway yeah he's a good looking um, man yeah. he is yeah. but what I learned from one of the teachers was that if you grind down old-fashioned chalk yeah. that we used to write on the blackboard you can get get pigment so of course there was green pigment purple mm. pigment bright pink pigments white pigment Mm. so I used those with talcum powder and I used to kind of make up colors and put things on Mm -hmm. people to make them look different and and ready for stage now although at that point it was quite natural to wear makeup and as you said culturally people were wearing makeup was was there any point at which you were you struggled with the fact that you were a man and you liked makeup Uh, I, I absolutely um also because it wouldn't have been something that my parents would have wanted to see me wearing. Right. So did you hide that from them? Yeah, absolutely. And because they used to go away every weekend to the country, Mm. I would go completely wild and I'd have my friends over Mm -hmm. um, and we'd all get dressed at ours. And because my dad had a hair salon, I had all the hair products, the hairsprays, the gels, everything, the hair crimpers. And I'd get me and my friends ready and we would parade up and down the King's Road I was photographed for the Sunday Times, wow. put in a, a, a feature, and, I, and my parents used to get those papers. And I, and I told my dad one time when the paper turned up on the mat on a, on a Sunday morning, mm. I said, they didn't put the supplement in this week, Dad, because I knew I was in it, oh. leaning up against the wall with a guy who looked exactly like David Sylvian from Japan. Right. And we, we were both doing really campy poses. Would he have recognised? No. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely not. And then, of course, I would have thought, well, maybe some of my family are going to see that. Had you come out at this point? No. Okay, so not at all. that whole other identity was hidden. Yeah, I, did, I didn't yeah. come out till my 20s. Okay. Um, and yeah, so late tricky. 20s, actually. Do you think that, do you think that, was, that created a tension in your life, or were you quite good at separating the two parts? No, because I didn't really. I, I don't think I wanted to be gay because I knew I was attracted to men. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I was attracted to women as well. So mm. I had girlfriends. Right. Um, which kind of kept my parents kind of happy and things. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I wanted to be gay because I didn't want my parents to dislike me or be embarrassed. 
And then, of course, that affects the family and how the family react with you and all this kind of thing. So, of course, you kind of feel sort of on your own as if there's no one to talk to. It was difficult, but uh, I really loved the idea of changing my look completely. Mm -hmm. It's not the first time I've said to people that I was a really ginger spotty kid Mm -hmm. and you just don't really get fancied when you were ginger and spotty (laughs) you either had to look like tom cruise dark and masculine or you had to look blonde and sexy you know that kind of thing and i didn't fit into that stereotypical when you're young it's very there's very much molds of what's attractive in a time so it's like yeah still now always there's always that stereotype that you have to look like that and have the right things and have the right trainers or whatever. Yeah. Um, but so I, I found that I could express myself being a new romantic mm-hmm. uh, with the mate. And I just absolutely loved it. Did you do the clothes? It. You did all the clothes yeah, too. everything. Yeah. What was funny was my mum really enjoyed making outfits for me. Did she? But she never really saw me in them. Mm, but, okay. But she'd make me these... Because mum came from India mm-hmm. and... Um, she's British, but born and raised in India, mm. came and lived here. The first thing she did, she did um, dressmaking at St. Martin's ah, with some okay. really cool other young designers and things. So she learned how to make outfits and things. And yeah. she always had a sewing machine on the dining table. Mm-hmm. So and she'd either take my trousers in and make them into drain pipes or whatever yeah, yeah. for school. Yeah. Or I'd give her some fabric that I found. I'd say, Mum, just make me a pair of caftan trousers or something. She would absolutely love it. But if they saw me wearing makeup yeah. and going out really, you know, like a peacock and looking absolutely yeah. wild and beautiful, as I would like to think, <laughs> um, my father would have been absolutely livid yeah seriously angry and I would have been he would have taken all my clothes away and all this kind of thing after I left school I went to the London College of Fashion Mm -hmm. where dad wanted me to do a hair course right and follow in his footsteps and eventually take over his his successful business where was his business he had one in Knightsbridge Mm -hmm. and he had two in South Kensington what were they called um the one in Knightsbridge was called Miss Knightsbridge Mm -hmm. And it used to be above the Fiorucci store, which yes. opposite Scotch Corner, which yeah. was where Scotch House used to be. And two on the old Brompton Road. Okay. Actually, one was down Butte Street, if you know South Ken, opposite the French Lycée. There's a uh, little cool little street. Yeah. And then the other one was around the corner on the old Brompton Road near um, Queensgate. Yes. Um, so what happened was that I didn't particularly want to do hair only, mm-hmm. even though I... A lot of my time was spent Saturdays and holidays in his hair salon, sweeping floors, taking coats from clients, Mm -hmm. taking the money, you know, washing hair, all this kind of thing. So I grew up with that as a child. It would have been natural for me to go into the hairdressing business. Did you have an aptitude for it? Yeah, I could do it. You could do it, okay. I didn't like doing it. Yeah. But I could do it. And of course, my dad was very much a hairdresser from the 50s and Mm -hmm. 60s Mm -hmm. and the 70s. So his training was wonderful old shampoo and sets, classic, yeah. you know, ping curling, finger waving, all that. To watch him work was just incredible. I can imagine. And some of his clients were some of um, London's elite. It was royals. Mm-hmm. It was actresses, mm-hmm. society ladies. And I'd go and watch him work for Harper's Bazaar magazine. Wow. Um, so you're constantly absorbing all these visual references, even yeah. through your parents, which most... Not many people have that. I mean, even if you have an aptitude for beauty and you're seeing it everywhere, but the fact that it's in your house, your mum's sewing, you know, your dad's cutting hair, it's a very hands-on education in how to behave around people and also, you know, giving you these influences. And I think you don't realise, but you're like a sponge and you absorb it. Mm. And I would see these ladies 
come into my dad's hair salon, little old ladies with grey hair, duchess mm. of whatever, mm. and he'd make them feel absolutely fantastic. And I would see the way that he would talk to them. And I would see the transformation <laughs> of these ladies who would come in religiously on a Friday or a Saturday once a week to have a shampoo and set a chit-chat with Mr. David, <laughs> um, you know, a cup of tea and a, and a biscuit, and they'd mm. go out feeling wonderful. So I grew up with that, but I... My father knew I wanted to do makeup as well. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay, well, if you want to go to the London College of Fashion and not just do hair only, they do a makeup course. So it's makeup and hair. So I did one of those courses. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely loved it because mm -hmm. I came from an all boys school. Suddenly I was with girls and it was fun. And being quite an extrovert camp boy at that age who loved wearing makeup, girls you're Loved like a you. magnet and at the London College of Fashion there weren't really that many boys mm -hmm. so I suddenly was in my element and I loved going to college and then from college uh, at college there was a, a, a makeup artist called Kim Jacob mm -hmm. now Kim is somebody who whose work I knew in the 80s and 90s when she first started she she came to college but she was already out there working and she said to me Daniel come and watch me work mm -hmm. So I said, okay, that would be absolutely lovely. So I went to a studio for the first time to see a makeup artist work properly. And I loved what she did. And I knew then that I wanted to concentrate on makeup. So I started building a portfolio. I started mm -hmm. meeting photographers. Being fortunately located very central mm. in London, you go to parties, you meet models, you meet photographers, hairdressers, stylists. And my father, as I said, he used to do a lot of shoots. And he worked a lot with Terence Donovan. right which leads me to one of the very first jobs where I assisted um, an amazing makeup artist on one of the Robert Palmer videos. No. Um, yeah, the, the artist who actually designed the black eyes and the red no, lips but... was an amazing South African fella yeah. called Martin Pretorius. Mm -hmm. And Terence Donovan booked me for a lot of jobs, but subsequently I worked with him on many, many editorials and things. Mm -hmm. But for this particular job with him was the first time I ever assisted anyone. And I had to create some of those faces on some of the other Robert Palmer Amazing. videos, which was similar to the original... Um, Addicted to Love. Addicted to Love. So it was very monumental and mm. very, you know, very iconic time. Also part of the scene. I mean, it sounds like you were really part of what was yeah. going on and yeah. the culture of makeup and stuff yeah. like that. So incredible. Well, time. there weren't that many of us around. Another job that I did, um, and it was the first time I worked with Yasmin Le Bon. Mm. I, I turned up at, a, at Jubilee Halls in Covent Garden because it was the St. Martin's fashion show. It was their degree yeah. show. Yeah. Um, and there were very many famous who became very, you know, really, really famous uh, fashion designers subsequently. Mm. And um, it was incredible to, to be... I was assisting a girl called Lynn Easton, mm -hmm. who was with a very creative agency called Creative Workforce, and they did a lot of the uh, funky um, pop singers like Steve Strange and, mm -hmm. and, you know, whoever. So to assist Lynn was amazing because she used to do Boy George as well and she had dreads yeah. and she just looked the part. She did a lot of music stuff, didn't she? She did. Do yeah. you know the name? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just, so like, great. drinking in all this coolness. Yeah, 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 I was nothing. I used to go to Candle Palace and I used to see Boy George and Marilyn and Steve Strange running around and it was absolutely incredible. And, wow. I just, and I was just so young and little and insignificant, but I knew I wanted to be... Yeah, you felt that that was your world. Yeah. Yeah. It would, it would kind of be like if I was in New York in the 70s and I went to Studio 54 right. and I saw Bianca Jagger and Andy Warhol yeah, yeah, and whoever, yeah. I'd be like, that's where I want to be. But Camden Palace was, <laughs> was <Yeah>. achievable. <laughs> yeah. It was my era. That was achievable.
when you develop your signatures, I wouldn't say, you know, I know that as a makeup artist, you can do lots of different things. I know sure. that that's part of the job. But I do feel like there tends to be a look that accompanies a makeup artist. You know, yeah. they, do, they do certain things well. Yeah. How would you define yours? I do very beautiful, glamorous, natural-looking makeup. Yeah. So what I concentrate on is skin texture and subtle definition to make the face look as beautiful as it can without looking that you can see where it starts and finishes. That's exactly what I was going to say, but also that's something that you've bottled in your makeup, in some cases quite literally, because it feels like your mission, as it were, mm. is to give makeup to people that... And I know this is bandied around a lot. The word empowering is bandied around a lot. But there is something empowering about finding a product that makes you look like you, but better. Another really yeah, hackneyed phrase. But that is what you do. Yeah. And I think that when I see your work, I think, aha, you know, because it's the eye that pops without knowing quite why it's popping. Yes. You know, it's like yeah. the eyeliner is there, but yeah. it's not quite, it's not pronounced. You know, so that's, that's something that I think is, is a really interesting skill mm. because it, the, the strength and the... Um, courage to pair it back yeah it sometimes takes more to do that and I think my own journey if yes, you like sorry, from yeah. being a makeup artist from the late 80s into mm. the 90s where in the UK especially it was quite you could do pretty wild makeup mm. suddenly when we hit sort of the early 90s everything went beige flat and brown yeah um, and my portfolio was completely not what it was about and I had to yeah. completely turn around what I was doing I was lucky enough that I was uh, modeling at the time for a guy called Koto Belofo, who was a mm. really big Vogue photographer, and, mm. he, and he put me in one of the Marco Polo campaigns as a model. Wow. And L'Officiel, and I was in Luomo Vogue. Of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are, Need to see those. Check out my Instagram. <laughs> All right, I'm on it. I'll there'll there'll be the odd picture. Okay. Anyway, yeah. it was a very short period in my life. I went to show him my portfolio, and my book just wasn't right. Because mm. what Koto's makeup style that he loved was red lipstick, and that was it. Okay. He wasn't, and he, so it was a little bit 1930s, 40s in its right. simplicity. The models always looked very fresh, very natural, but they had this Hollywood glamour lipstick. Right. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to be booked on a few of his jobs with um, wonderful magazines, and I could see the, the other makeup artists, what they were doing mm -hmm. makeup-wise on his models. Right. It was a revelation, Okay. I, I had to relearn and retrain myself to a new approach for how to do that sort of style. Yeah. Plus use beiges and browns so they didn't look flat and boring. When you say retrained yourself, there's something... So you did train initially. Yeah. But when you're learning new techniques and things, are you quite good at seeing other people do things and just going, oh, I know how I would do that and yeah. picking it up? So I think, but that only comes after years of experience. Right. You can suddenly um, break something down. You see someone's makeup. You know how you would achieve that. You mm -hmm. know the products, whether you'd use fingers, brushes, sponge, whatever. You know what kind of pigments and powders you'd use. Mm -hmm. It's almost like if... you. You eat well. Mm -hmm. So I know you can go to a restaurant because you've been brought up with your parents in the catering industry mm -hmm. with a very successful restaurant. You can go to a restaurant. You can eat something, whether it's probably Moroccan or Indian or whatever. Mm. You can analyze those flavors, those textures, those tastes, and you will know how to do that. Yeah. You won't need a cookbook because you can, you can taste the ginger. You can taste the garlic. Yeah, there's a little bit of cumin in there. Yeah, I can do that, and I can simmer those chickpeas for an hour, and it will turn out. It's it's the same with makeup. You can literally look at something, you analyse it within an instant, and you know how you'll do it. Which side of the argument do you sit on when people are thinking about either training or not training? Do you think practice is as good as training, or do you think that training is essential? 
everyone's different. I always think you should be open-minded to training and absorb as many different styles you can from a lot of different people. When mm. I started, there were very few people out there um, to watch and learn from. I think I would have been a very different makeup artist had I had that um, available to me. Mm. But I think these days, if you just do variations of the same makeup, mm -hmm. you may have a very successful Instagram account mm. where your makeup style is the same, but you just tweak the colors and textures, but the look is always really the same. Yeah. Um, but that could be quite limiting. Mm -hmm. I, I personally, for me, what I would like from a makeup artist is someone who can do loads of different sorts of makeup, mm -hmm. loads of different sorts of styles. But within that, people can always identify that you have a signature look. A bit like a singer, when you know their yeah. voice, but they sing different styles. Exactly. Yeah. And I think someone like, you know, Lisa Eldridge does that. I think mm. most of the really successful ones, you can tell. Like, I always was able to tell Mary Greenwell's makeup. Yeah. Always, always, always. Um, mm. And there's some amazing makeup artists who I look at. And Caroline Barnes, mm. another one who I really... She's more of a contemporary because we're yeah. similar ages. And Caroline was so sweet to me in, in the... 2000 and something mm. she was she was working a lot with Kylie she had been working with Atomic Kitten mm -hmm. she couldn't do Atomic Kitten anymore because mm -hmm. she was so busy going on tour with Kylie mm -hmm. and she suggested that I work with Atomic Kitten because yeah. my style with the skin and the colors and I was going to say your styles aren't wholly dissimilar exactly yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I learned a lot from Caroline and because she told me this is what the girls like this is what the Atomic Kitten Girls don't like, just have tons of bronzer. Um, and I learned loads of things with Caroline. Um, tell me about the products that you were using then when you made that switch from big 80s makeup to pared back, browns and life makeup. Yeah. Was there anything you found in the shops that was great? I th well, certainly bases and powders. I was a huge advocate of Clinique super balanced makeup mm -hmm. because it was a wonderful, creamy textured foundation that made skin look flawless. The uh, Clinique powders came in quite a few variety of shades. They looked, they did the job. They weren't too expensive. Mm -hmm. They looked nice in my kit. Um, I think color-wise, I absolutely love Shuemura. Yeah. Mary Quant has a few wonderful colors as well. Mm -hmm. um, Estee Lauder, I was a huge fan of their More Than Mascara. Mm -hmm. um, and was there anyone around that time when you were sort of doing lots and lots of different people where you wanted to make them up? You were, you know, because you admired them as an artist and then you did. I remember when I did Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell for the first time, Tommy Hilfiger was launching his first Sloan Street store. It was, it was during Fashion Week and it was a big party. Mm -hmm. um, it, that, to do them was quite amazing. They were quite controlling, though. Naomi wanted to do quite a lot of the makeup herself. Oh, really? Yeah, she yeah. wanted to apply her base and mm -hmm. all this kind of thing. But what was interesting was watching her do her makeup, because, of course, she'd had Kevin O'Quan do her makeup, mm -hmm. and she'd had Paul Goebbels do her makeup, and Mary Greenwell, obviously, mm -hmm. and all the huge mega makeup stars at the time. And then there was little old me there. Um, so... She obviously wanted to control how she looked. She didn't know me. We hadn't yeah. been introduced. Yeah. Hadn't worked with her editorially. So suddenly to work with me, she was obviously a bit nervous. So she put her prescriptive foundation and powder on. And the powder that she used on her face was white. And I was thinking, my God, how's that going to work? But yeah. of course, I now developed a white pressed powder myself. Yeah. And know how invisible white powders can actually be without yeah. making a black skin 
look chalky, green or grey or ash or whatever and ghastly. Mm, mm. So um, I love that pressed powder of yours. Thank you. Thank you use you. that a lot. So, yeah. but, but similarly with Kate Moss was different because she she let me do whatever I wanted, and yeah. the Tommy Hilfiger look was very natural and fresh and very sporty. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, you're then out looking for products, trying yeah. to find the thing you want. At what point do you think, I'm going to have to make some myself? It wasn't my idea. I, it, I did not have that eureka moment. Mm. As a makeup artist, if you can't find what you want you blend and mix on the back of your hand and you pick out from your kit your essentials and you make it work but it was I was the um, makeup spokesperson for Bourgeois Cosmetics for seven years Mm -hmm. Leslie Chivers from who was doing PR from Bourgeois Mm -hmm. came up to me and said please be our spokesperson Mm -hmm. yes thank you very much lovely and then after a few years of that um, she said to me why don't you bring out your own makeup Mm -hmm. and I said but why would I do that there's everything out there. Mac was getting bigger and bigger. Mm. Bobby Brown was out and about. Laura Mercier, Trish Mackie Boy. There were makeup artist brands out there. Or you could shop at a cheaper drugstore, you know, mm. price tag if you wanted. Um, and then I started thinking about the textures and the colours that I used to create on cheeks for my models or whoever. Mm. If I was on a trip to Miami or the model had to be submerged in water or in a shower or in a swimming pool... And, I, and blushes and things, there were cream blushes and there were stains, but you couldn't blend them properly and they'd, mm. they wouldn't last long and there weren't a lot of colours. Yeah. So I was naturally mixing up things together from yeah. my kit, um, which I then went to Cryolan in Germany mm-hmm. and I said I mix all these different products together to get a look and a finish and a colour and a texture mm. that's long-lasting. Can you take all these elements put it together and create one product for me Mm. so after about six or seven months of me going backwards and forwards and trialing we we all came up with the um fantastic solution which was the watercolor liquid cheek color which has been i mean monumental for me Uh, was it instantly successful no, because okay. people they couldn't get it. They couldn't yeah. understand. Not that they couldn't get it, that they couldn't buy it. Yeah. They didn't get it. They yeah. didn't understand it. Yeah. 
you know, it's a liquid. It ran everywhere. For anyone who doesn't know what it is, how would you describe what it is and how to put it on? It's a concentrated liquid pigment in a tiny little bottle mm-hmm. where you literally just need one dot of colour on each cheek, blend it. You've yeah. got the most beautiful flush and bloom on your cheek mm-hmm. um, in a different array of colours. And whether you want an illuminator, a matte shade, something with a little bit of shimmer, there's mm-hmm. something for everyone. And you put it on basically your, either your foundation or your naked skin. Yes. And you can put it on with fingers or with a brush. Absolutely. Um, and yet some of the, like the, I'm thinking of the peachy pinky colours for okay. me, yeah. they just make it look like you're alive. It's yeah. one of those things where the makeup fuses with your skin and you can't see the edge. It's not there. You know, when people talk about no makeup makeup, I always think of actually it's the ideal. You can build it up, but if you want to look, like you are just naturally like blushing. Yeah. It does that. Yeah. And that's something that I'd imagine the minute you found the right formula, you were like, this is it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, you know, bringing out a brand is really difficult. Yes. But you've got, because there is a hell of a lot of competition out there. Yeah. Um, in, in all sorts of categories, skin, mascara, eyes, whatever. Yeah. But um, I've, I've stuck with the watercolour because... For me, blusher was always something that I really loved doing. Yeah. And sometimes, well, quite often actually, when I put a foundation and concealer on someone, instead of then doing powder and then doing eyes and then lips and doing cheek, cheeks last or cheeks before lips, mm. um, I do cheeks first after I've applied the base. Okay. Because suddenly whoever was sitting in the chair who I was making up and looking at their reflection, they would sit differently. Do you know what? It's funny you say that. Really? Because, well, just because when I do my own makeup, if I'm having a particularly ugly day, you know, when you look in the mirror and you're like, oh no, oh yeah. no. The first thing I do is basically redo my skin. So I, you know, cover it up, whatever's going on, and then put the blush on and stuff. And then it's almost like I'm almost not wearing makeup, sure. but have reset yeah. my face. So I can imagine that psychologically, yes. when you're a model or you're an actress and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, it must be awful when yeah. you look pale and tired and crap. So that's very I think, astute of well, you. I, I can't, yeah. It was a trick I just did mm. once when I was working at the Dorchester mm-hmm. on some actress on a press junket. Oh, and yeah. she really had, she'd really had just flown in and she looked like death. <laughs> and Because um, they work so hard, these girls. Yeah. And I, I just thought, let's put some colour in her cheeks. Yeah. Let's do that. And then she suddenly looked bright and the eyes looked brighter. And funnily enough, it really helped me to create the right balance mm-hmm. of how much eyes and lips to put on. Yeah. Because when you work on one zone of a face, then you've really got to balance the rest of the, the colour on, mm. whether it's the cheeks or the lips. It's all got to work together. And I, I, was, I think because at college... I was taught to do the foundation, the concealer, the powder, the eyes, the cheek, in that order. Yeah. Suddenly, I, when I changed that order, yeah. I created a... I could make the face look better, yeah. almost. But also, it's very in keeping with what you do. Because once you've done that, you know how far you need to go to make yeah. someone look good and to make their face pop. Absolutely. And uh, interestingly enough, thing. if ever I want to do a red lip on someone... Mm-hmm. Um, I won't do the eyes and the cheeks first, actually. I'll do the red lip first. Yeah. Because then if I want that to stand out, because what can happen is if you do a big, dark, smoky eye because you think, yeah, that's going to look great with the red. Mm. Once you've done both zones quite strong, mm. it can look too much. What okay. I also like to do is not spend too much time on the bit that somebody doesn't like on their face. I like to emphasize their good bits. 
So if they think, oh, I've got really small eyes Mm. or, you know, I I wish I had higher cheekbones and all this kind of Mm. thing, I don't actually spend too much time on that. I'll make their skin look great Mm. and then I'll show them really quickly, that's all you need to do with your cheekbones. But that's also such a big part of your job must be dealing with the psychology of whoever's sitting in front of you. Mm. And the way someone looks has such a huge impact. I mean, when you ever confronted with someone who is feeling rubbish about themselves maybe someone who's been ill or is struggling um do you have other than making them look as good as you can as quickly as possible and avoiding their bad bits do you find that your bedside manner as it were has a massive impact too yes of course and you you work so closely with someone hairdresser of course works behind yes you know, hands are on the head. Mm. You're working very closely, sometimes very early in the morning, before any of us have really had breakfast. Yeah. Um, you're working very intimately and closely in someone's space. Mm-hmm. In the, in the, you know, mm-hmm. so you have to tread carefully. It's, but I think makeup artists generally just are gifted that they can connect with people on a certain level that makes you bond with someone instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And I think that makeup artists have this character that helps that process begin your relationship with someone. Well, good makeup artists. I mean, so I've in my journalist job, I've had my makeup done by a lot of good and a lot of not as good makeup right. artists. And I wouldn't say it's actually the end result, although the end result obviously does matter. But the thing I've noticed about the very, very good makeup artists is that they know how to talk to you in a way that makes you feel like they're going to make you look great. Even when you're not looking in the mirror, they're going to you, oh, how lovely, I'll I'll make this bigger. And you're sort of thinking, oh, I'm going to look great, this is brilliant. When when someone who isn't as good at makeup is doing your makeup, they make you feel like your face is a problem, you know? And I think that that's something that has been very obvious to me. And it tends to be that the the very famous, well-known, brilliant makeup artists know that they don't even... It's not only about making you look Mm. good, it's about making you feel good. I I think experience as well tells you, you can instinctively know what someone won't like so much about their face. Yeah. You you can just tell that. Yeah. It's it's almost like a hairdresser. Again, I always like the analogy sometimes because it's easier for people to understand Mm. that if someone sits in the barber's chair um, who's got quite thin hair, of course the hairdresser knows I'll make that thicker. Yeah. Make it wavy. I'll give her those beach beachy, towsily, sexy look that she probably wants to achieve, but she can't, I'll show her how to do it. It's Mm. the same with makeup. You kind of instinctively know when you look at someone's face what they will want to hear and how they will want to look. And they will want, you you want to make them look the best they ever have done. And again, it's not looking the best so that people can say you're beautiful. Mm. Aren't you great for 40? Mm. It's about you're looking as good as you can on that day. That expression, 440, 450, 460 or whatever, it drives me mad. Because I feel like it's like, it's absolutely right that someone wants to just look good. Yes. Full stop, you know, yes. feel good, look good, whatever, you know, yeah. the both effects of it. But the thing when someone's sort of quantifying that is, oh, don't you look good for someone who yes. has or for someone who is. Or it's so sad. I know. They just got to wait till they are <laughs> 40 or yeah. 50 or something. Yeah. But I love I love the whole rebellion now of women in 40s, 50s and 60s, mm. you know, making youngsters sit up and think, you know, we're not past it and yeah. we can still look as good and we're still as brightly as ever for anyone who is um i can say of a certain age but not 20 listening do you approach makeup differently or are there tips for if someone is older and they want to be you know engaging in makeup as much as anyone who's 20 um but they also have that fear of looking like they've put on too much makeup or whatever yeah i i i I can't generalize i think every woman regardless of 
whether she's 20 or 40 or 60, you have to tailor make the makeup to suit her and to, mm. because every woman's skin is different. A woman who hasn't smoked mm -hmm. will have different skin to someone who has smoked. Mm -hmm. They can be the same age, but the skin texture will be different. Pigmentation will be different. Mm -hmm. Similarly, um, someone who's been in the sun a lot, you know, there'll be challenges there as well. So you can't really, really generalize. Certainly as someone gets older, regardless of whether they've smoked or been in the sun a lot, mm. um, they will have slightly drier skin. Yeah. Obviously there are some women when they reach the 40s and 50s, they go through the menopause or even suffer adult acne. Yeah. So there are changes that happen biologically, hormonally, mm. um, that can just come out of nowhere. So it's as personal as any makeup, basically, doesn't yes, it? Yeah, the age absolutely. is just another there's, element. For me, there's no tick box mm. like you're 40 you've got to wear a Laura Mercier <laughs> yeah. camouflage concealer you've got to wear a Bobbi Brown lipstick mm -hmm. you've got to wear a Daniel Sandler blusher mm -hmm. blah 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 every, every woman is different um and that, that's one of the things that I think Instagram and some of the social accounts don't always mm. um kind of admonish and they, they we're not seeing enough different sort of makeup styles that are relevant to yeah. many different age groups yeah And what I fear is that some of the, these the very successful big stars like Kim Kardashian, mm. if she, I think she'll probably get stuck in a time warp and she won't adjust her makeup as she gets older. You know, the funny thing is when I have met ladies in their 60s mm. um, who were told in the 80s that they should always wear blue eyeliner, <laughs> you know the type, you know, yeah. um, blonde hair, highlights, pearls and wellies, yeah. um, still wearing the blue eyeliner. Amazing. Um, amazing, we love them. <laughs> um, and I say, you know, you know, you don't really have to wear blue eyeliner and navy blue mascara anymore. Yeah. You know, you can wear black. Oh no, black's too harsh. You know, I should mm. wear brown mascara. It's personal choice. Yeah. You know, I can make recommendations. This is what I think will make you look fantastic. But people sometimes see themselves the same way. And when they say to me, Dan, you're looking in my makeup bag. What can I chuck away? Mm -hmm. What should I keep? Mm -hmm. And I say, well, you've got seven different shades of Max Spice pencil by different brands, yes. yeah. which is great. And that's your safety net. Yeah. Um, and they're very wearable and very commercial and very easy to wear colors. But why not wear something with a little bit more peach or a little bit mm. more pink just to update it and just freshen how you look? Yeah. You know, because often women can change their hair, cut their hair color, but they don't always feel that the makeup should change. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's funny, actually. I hadn't thought of that before. People are very willing to embrace new hair, but yes. not new or makeup. Or nails. Nails yeah. can be black, blue, glitter, whatever. Yeah. Oh, no, I can't wear red lipstick. That's far <laughs> too bright. Really? Yeah, yeah, Come yeah, on. yeah. Now, tell me about you then and your life. Um, what you do, because, you know, you are a busy, busy, busy man. Brand, working makeup artist. You know, you do lots of different things. And yeah. you have to be, um, I wouldn't say functioning optimum. That's your choice. But you look in rude health to me. So what Sweet. is it that you do? Sweet. And, and ha do you have ways of living and... Um, things you do that sort of make you feel good and help you out i i don't that's very sweet of you i must say i really don't know that there's really no secret i just live day to day mm -hmm. my my work life is very varied i've got a fantastic private life mm -hmm. um live in the country now which is amazing so you move from london to the country right to, to the norfolk yeah and very little stress i come into london you have dogs have as to, well yes two beautiful babies yeah um sid and elsie and a fantastic husband simon mm. um But I, I've never been anyone who does anything 
to too much of an extreme. I'm a rather safe person. Mm -hmm. I don't really drink a lot. I don't smoke. I don't really go out an awful lot anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I go to bed quite early. What I time's quite early? Oh, nine o'clock. That is early. But I'm a really bad sleeper okay. and I always have been. Okay. So I go to bed hoping that tonight I will have a fantastic night's sleep. Oh, no. Um, but I always wake up in the night yeah. and... Then we're up about six o'clock because the dogs want to go for a wee or something. Mm -hmm. um, and then we might as well have a cup of tea and watch a bit of telly. Yeah. But um, that's the kind of very ordinary part of my life. But what I love really is working on the brand now. That's my focus. Yeah. And I'm able to do that. I've got a fantastic sister who runs the company with me. Mm -hmm. My sister, uh, that's my sister Nikki. My niece Emma um, works with us as well now, head oh, of marketing. Okay. So we're a very small family unit. You know, we're not owned by yeah. L'Oreal or Lauder. Mm -hmm. It's me and my sister who do everything. So great. And, yeah. and I think I'm just very lucky. Before we, you started, you put the uh, record button. I said to you that I've never really planned anything with my career. Mm. And I really haven't. I very much believe in living day to day and just doing good stuff. Mm. And what will be, will be. And I don't have a goal. I don't have a goal that Lauder will one day give yeah. me X millions in a cheque. That's not, that's not the reason why I do my brand or why I work. Mm. I really love what I do. Have you ever felt, um, because it is a bitchy industry, I hate, like, I mean, not always. There are yeah. very lovely people. But, you know, it's famously an industry in which yeah. people are a bit cutthroat. And you do have to, it's a talent industry, so you have to, to some extent, be a bit bolshy and pushy. But then on the other hand, if that's not in your nature and, you know, you're a kind, mm. humble person and even the way you've spoken about yourself, like, you know, massively underplayed what you've done and you're, you know, you've had an incredible career and you have an incredible career. But have you ever felt the conflict of that where you've thought, I should probably be the person who's at the door going, let me in, I'm amazing, but also you're a bit more yeah, tiring? No, I, I just can't do it. I have to follow <laughs> my instincts. Yeah. When you work in a part of a team in a photo shoot, yeah. it's not about you. Mm. It's generally about the model it's, or the, whoever you're making up and it's about the photographer and then it's about the client really. Mm -hmm. um, hair and makeup are the last people who are very important. Yeah. Um, you're, you're all doing your bit but there are people who are more important that you know, and especially mm. the talent needs to be spoiled quite a lot to get the best out of them. Yeah. But I've always been a person who as I say, I never had a plan. The bitchiness, I kind of, I probably never even realised it was really going on. I just thought, well, they're just catty comments. Mm. And the great thing about being freelance is you may never see that person again. Yeah. You probably will. Yeah. But then you're only suffering them in a studio for a few hours. Yeah. And there are some characters who are just, especially hairdressers for some reason, <laughs> who are so over the top. Yeah. Um, and, they're, and they're really loud and they make everyone laugh and that's fantastic. But it kind of, it just sort of made me feel a bit cringy sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. that I, I didn't want exactly to be that, that over-the-top clown. Yeah. I just yeah. want to do my job, have a nice day, get on with people yeah. and hope that they book me the next time. Yeah. And I kind of like to be in the background. And I think that that's why as well I'm quite a private person with Instagram and Twitter and things like you'll Well, you'll see some private things, but I mm. never really reveal too much about what goes on behind the scenes with my work mm. and the other sort of makeup work that I do. I'm quite private like that. So yeah. really, I, I've always felt with my career that I just let things happen as they naturally mm -hmm. were going to happen. Mm. And if there was any sort of bitchiness that was going on, it kind of went over my head. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't absorb that negative energy. But that's a really good way also to keep your head down and get on with your job, I think, is the yeah. way to preserve 
yourself yeah. because otherwise you get really caught up in that you forget the work you yes. start to become a real victim of it and I think that if it's something that you struggle with either go freelance or take yourself out of it because yeah. it's just not good for anyone exactly yeah 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 and particularly as a makeup artist because you are there doing a job for someone else yeah it's not and, yeah. and I think anyone coming who's young coming into this industry there will be the knocks there will be some nasty comments and things you don't like hearing mm. and you will take them very personally but you know what guys let it wash over you mm. be bigger than that and just keep your head focused head down do the best you can and you will have a long and fantastic career yeah it's advice for pretty much every career i think in a way. absolutely it's common sense Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.